0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones: A marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy,
1: and I'm Sydney McElroy.
0: <sighs> How are you doing, Sydney? I'm hungry. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> well, hi, hungry. Oh no. I'm dad.
1: It's a dad joke. Yeah. That's Sorry. a very daddy. Not. Was, God, not daddy joke. That that's no, not. It's a that zaddy, sounds different. A zaddy joke.
0: Oh. oh. man. I mean. Did girls, you just
1: call yourself a zaddy? Did I mean, you just decide you a zaddy? I don't actually know if that's positive zaddy?
0: or negative. Um, I I made the girls so mad yesterday. They got got in the car after school, and they're both telling me how hungry and thirsty they are. And no matter what they said, I just keep telling them that I'm dad. Hi, hungry, I'm dad. Hi, thirsty, I'm dad. They were ruinously frustrated with me. It was uh, it was not a good scene. I don't know why I did it. Honestly, I just wanted the challenge. I don't know. I was intentionally poking the bear.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't do that when they're hungry. Poke Especially the bear not. the claws
0: come out. That's what that's what Tay Tay says in Mad Woman, right? Uh-huh.
1: Thank you, New York Times crossword Thank you, New York puzzle. Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> that, by the way,
0: I meant to tell you. By the way, that peaked at like forty-seven on the charts. That is not our fault for not knowing that track. Okay.
1: Uh, well, I Riley just would like have known
0: it. Fine. But I was like, going to say not. I
1: like that we refused to ask Riley. No. even though Riley would definitely have immediately known the answer to that. Yeah. Um, no way. Justin, we're Too not easy. <laughs> I want to talk about something else now.
0: <laughs> okay. Is that how it works? You mm-hmm. just do that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. There, there's a topic that I realized we hadn't ever covered on Sawbones, and I, can I just say sometimes I'm not sure that we have, and I have to Google and find out if we have. Yeah, I Googled to see if we had, and I can't find it, but I'm worried that I start to get worried that I'm wrong. I, I heard recently from a listener that we may have done lice twice, mm. that we did do lice twice. I should say
0: we did lice twice. We did lice twice. Like, I wonder if it's different. It's probably very different. It's probably right? different. We had a much. Different, why are you just now telling me know. this now? I don't know. On the air, I
1: didn't want to say it out loud.
0: But so you said out loud into a microphone that no, I'm recording it. on? This is very stressful.
1: I have to go back and address this. I don't I don't think there's any way to address it. It's out there now. It's out there in the world. Did two lice episodes. We did we did. Um I don't think we've talked about hepatitis C before. I know we've talked about hepatitis. I believe we've talked about other hepatitides.
0: Is that a real word? Yes. Or, oh boy, it's a mouthful. But
1: I do not I best as I could Google and search our podcast history. Listen, can I tell you why what? Oh. Or are you give me a look. I'm not giving okay. you any look. Can I tell you why I don't like to go back and search to see? Have I just forgotten that we already covered this? Yes. Because I have to Google our podcast,
0: and you don't like to do that. No, because it's on the internet.
1: Because it's on the internet, <laughs> yeah. and I it's it's similar to googling oneself, which you don't want to do. Nope. Um, you don't you also don't want to Google anything you create ever. Yes. This right. is this is an int- this is an important rule.
0: You put it in the bottle, you chuck the ball in the ocean.
1: You do the best you can every time and try to help you try really hard. And that's that's what I'm doing. I'm trying really hard. Um anyway, we're gonna talk about hep C. It's something that's on my mind a lot because of the type of medicine I practice nowadays. I provide a lot of care for people with substance use disorder and people who use injection drugs. And because of that, there's an overlap. There's a high prevalence of hepatitis C among okay. among that patient population. Makes sense. So it's something that I think about a lot. It's something that I'm currently signed up for extra CME, continuing medical education courses, to treat all, all by my lonesome once I've completed all that coursework. You just love it. You, don't, you know, you don't really have to do that. I thought you might find this interesting. What do you mean? I am I am currently in the midst of doing a lot of extra CME, a lot of – and when I say that, what I mean is like I'm paying for self-study courses and modules and exams that I take okay. that I then receive credits for, which are important to maintain my licensure. But also like just for my own edification so that when I manage different conditions, I know I'm competent, but there's no like rule that says I have to do that. Isn't that weird? I did not know that. Like, I don't have to have done this extra CME that I'm doing an HIV and Hep C so that I can manage these things. I just am—I'm just doing it. For the fun? No, I mean, like, because, I mean, it's the right thing to do. But it's just weird that, like, you could also just manage those things if you have a medical license. That is weird. But yeah. I think it's good. I mean, I learn about stuff all the time I don't need to. I think it's great for your brain. It's a level of trust they put in me as a professional that I'm not used to, like, the my— my profession getting i don't know i'm not used to getting that as a professional anyway um but i am doing all the right stuff uh and now it's it's a great story to talk about now when we're talking about hepatitis c because it's curable
0: is that a new thing
1: relatively new yeah i mean not like yesterday but in the grand scheme of medical last week last couple weeks no not last couple weeks (laughs) Longer than that, but still newer. There are a lot of hepatitis viruses. We've talked about some of them on the show before. You're probably you've probably heard of them. the ter- The word hepatitis, by the way, just means inflammation of the liver. Mm. Any itis is an inflammation, and any hepa is the liver. Yeah, the liver. liver We're referring liver. to the liver. Hepatocytes, except for are a
0: hepa filter. That's completely different.
1: That's a whole other thing. Hepatocytes, sites are like cells and hepato liver cells. So he- hepa meaning liver and uh, itis meaning inflammation, but then there are also viruses that can cause inflammation of the liver, and we cause that we call those the hepatitis viruses. Okay, got it. Got it. Uh, there, it's a this one. Hep C is a little RNA virus. It's in the f- uh, Flaviviridae family. We've talked about flaviviruses before, or flaviviruses, fla- whatever you want to pronounce it. You liked that, I remember. Mm-hmm. We the, in that family, you also find things like Zika and dengue and yellow fever and West Nile. Other some of the other things we've some talked about on the show. Stuff in there. Um, hepatitis viruses get their own little uh, genus or large genus, as it were filled with just those specific viruses that tend to all primarily affect the liver. They can do stuff outside the liver, but they're mainly a problem for the liver. Um, The way that hep C works specifically, because each one has their own sort of little profile as to what exactly it does, how long it does it, how serious the complications can be, and how you get it. Um, The way that you contract hep C is usually through some sort of bodily fluid
0: those can be like pee or spit.
1: Well, no, not not exactly. I'm talking more like blood uh, or okay. or a sexual fluid exchange. Nice. So injection drug use is a major, the primary mode of transmission. Um, you can definitely uh, contract uh, hep C that way, and, and many people do. Uh, sexual activity. Um, there are a lot of healthcare exposures as well. That's actually a bigger concern. I, when I say a lot of, I mean— In relative to HIV, which I think is another worry people have when they get like a needle stick in a healthcare setting, hepatitis C is actually more um, easily transmitted in that way and is Mm -hmm. usually more of a concern. So you do see people who got hep C through a healthcare exposure. I knew um, a colleague who uh, had to sort of change at the time, had to change their path in medicine to a different specialty because of an early career hepatitis C uh, exposure and then developing the disease. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so you can get it that way. You can also get it through transfusions. Not so much nowadays, but this was a threat, right? Br- prior to us having good Detection. screening, yeah. yeah, screening protocols for screening uh, transfusion products, any sort of blood product, you could get it that way. Um, perinatal transmission. Um, the virus primarily affects the liver, as you may imagine. Um, it, after anywhere from one to three months after you're exposed. So there can be a lag. Okay You contract Pepsi and then it can be a little bit of time before you notice any symptoms. Those early symptoms, and not everybody gets uh, acute symptoms and um, immediately uh, in that initial infectious no, phase.
0: Nothing cute about it
1: okay. uh, <laughs> But you get like, some nausea, vomiting, maybe a fever, maybe some muscle pains. It's really nonspecific stuff, right? Okay. Like stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know. Now, if you start to become jaundiced or if your urine gets really dark because there's bilirubin in it so it looks like dark orange or if your stools change color, you would probably notice these things. Um, not everyone gets all of these symptoms, though. So you wouldn't necessarily know you are infected. This is really important. I'm pushing this idea that – You wouldn't necessarily know you got it because that still remains a major problem. People not knowing.
0: And you want to freak people, you want to freak our listeners out a little bit more.
1: No, I want to empower them with knowledge that allows them to make (laughs) uh, informed healthcare decisions about whatever screening tests they may need.
0: Fair enough. Okay. So you wouldn't necessarily know if you had it or not.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, some people can progress to liver failure in that initial acute phase, but the vast majority do not. That's pretty rare, actually. And there are some reasons why somebody might be more likely to develop the more severe complications, like if you also have another type of, type of hepatitis, like Hep B or something, or if you're also co-infected with HIV, um, if you uh, have damage to your liver already from alcohol or something like that. So there are some reasons why you may be at higher risk for initially having a more serious course. Most people, you get the acute symptoms, they go away, um, and then they will progress to long-term hep C infection. So 70% are going to continue to sustain some damage from the virus long-term. Um, And then way down the road, that can result in things like cirrhosis. It can result in really serious things like hepatocellular carcinoma, cancer of the liver. So it's a big deal to treat hep C. Okay. Because while some people are never going to have any of these complications, and some people get the virus, get sick, get better, and then don't ever have any issues again, Mm -hmm. um, the majority are going to have some sort of problem from it, minor, major, some sort of problem. So um, it is important— that you know if you have it, that you get tested and that you get treated.
0: Cassia, a sort of this is sort of a wide ranging question, but I'm curious about it. Why is this the one where they do? And there's probably others, and I'm looking forward to hearing about it if you occur. Why do we have like the A and the B and the C for hepatitis? Because I feel like I I was sitting here thinking like, man, my brain just like will not. We've talked about hepatitis a bajillion times. My brain just like will not absorb the the what hepatitis is and does. Like I can't hold on to any facts about it. And I'm I feel like it's the A B C thing. I think it's like kind of confusing. And I don't know if there's like other examples of us doing splitting things up that way or mm-hmm. or what's the purpose?
1: We we split them up sometimes by genotype like that. Um well no, that's not genotype. We split so we split them up by species. Mm-hmm. And then we can also split them further by like genotype, and then split them even even further by like sub subdivisions of the genotypes. There's lots of different ways to split up, and I mean all of them. I should say all the vast majority of viruses are split up like this. Okay. Um, I think the reason that you hear about it more with hepatitis specifically is because they're very common, well-known mm-hmm. viruses, and some of them use numbers. And I don't know,
0: like COVID-19. I mean, like nineteen.
1: Yeah, yeah, but like we also didn't talk about the other. Well, that was because it was twenty nineteen.
0: Oh yeah, okay, yeah, fair.
1: But, yeah, but we also didn't talk about like a lot of the other strains of coronaviruses before, because most of them weren't a big deal. Now, when when they were a big deal, we did talk about them, right? SARS.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a coronavirus. Yeah, I just yeah, I just feel like the the lettering thing. I, is don't, kind of I, confusing. I
1: don't. It's just a way to denote different ones that have slightly different modes of transmission and. Uh, different concerns should a person get them okay um that that's but yeah me. no it's not it's not unique to hepatitis. I just they're very common, and so we talk about them a lot, and they're more serious too. There are some viruses that are very, very common, and we almost never talk about because the vast majority of the time they don't do anything again, I referenced coronavirus prior to covid nineteen Had you heard the word coronavirus prior to then, no. Okay, you have had a coronavirus prior to COVID nineteen. I had to. Statistically, we all have because for most most of the other versions, it was a common cold. Right. So anyway,
0: anyway, sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. It's a good
1: question. It's a good question, and it is. It does make it harder to remember. I think what they all do, Um, other than generally, if it's a hepatitis, it's going to do something to the liver. Okay, that's good enough for me. Yeah, Uh, we can't find evidence. So the hepatitis virus only survives inside living organisms. So it's hard to find like clear evidence that we have had hepatitis around since ancient times, right? Because like those people are dead because they're ancient. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some evidence, like, we always try to link this stuff to primate viruses. That's typically the way we go. Primate, um, did you say? primate viruses. Okay. That's typically what we think, right? Like, this was. they're probably the early precursors to our human hep C, probably with some sort of primate hep C or something like that, right? We're not sure. Maybe there, but nothing's been conclusive. So it, it could date back millions, you know, 35 million years. It could date back like 400 years. We're not really sure. <laughs> I
0: hope nobody had to work very hard to obtain the information you've just passed on to me because it's kind of pointless <laughs> i don't know i feel bad for whoever researched that because they got to the end of that and they're like guys That's not i feel fair. like i just wasted my time like, i don't know 400 or a bajillion i don't know i feel like we know less about it than what i started <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm gonna go into math I get well now. it's
1: always interesting to see like where the to trace the sort of family tree of these not, viruses
0: but it's not always interesting because sometimes <laughs> what you end up with is 400 years or maybe like a bajillion years so that's not always interesting i would say
1: <laughs> okay well in this case maybe it's not interesting <laughs> okay so the other way we can kind of tell how old something is is by looking for, like, records of the symptoms and saying, like, oh, well, they didn't know what this was called yet. But we can look back and see that sort of, like, constellation of symptoms in a person and go, oh, I know that that was. It's this disease, this bacteria, this virus, right? It's hard with hepatitis in general because the symptoms are really nonspecific it's sort of a longer time period, right? Like from that initial infection to when you get symptoms to when you might have serious complications can be such a long, drawn-out right, process right. that at that point, connecting it all without knowing the disease-causing agent would be very difficult. Um, and there are lots of things that can cause liver failure. So it would have been really hard to, to blame it on anything. Um what is interesting, I think, is that we actually would would discover what would be one of the first treatment regimens. Not not so much what we use today, but one of the first real breakthroughs in treatment of hep C uh, was actually discovered before we knew about hep C. Um, we figured out that first. That's wild. Yeah. So um, there there's something called interferons,
0: which oh, are actually. Yeah, that was. Oh, man. We didn't talk about that during COVID, did we? Interferons Probably. is like in my – I don't know. I'm,
1: I'm sure we did. Interferons are produced by your body in, in defense of any sort of invader, primarily viruses, um, and they help like make your immune response happen. Okay. So like interferons are really important little messengers that um, will tell your body to like get it into gear and interfere with the virus um, continuing to grow and replicate within your body. Okay. okay. So, back in 1957, a British bacteriologist, Alec Isaacs, and a Swiss microbiologist, Gene Lindenman, uh, discovered these things. And we thought, well, maybe we could put these in a bottle and give them to people when they're sick. Nice. And at that point, like it, they seemed to work anytime you had some sort of invader, any virus. So, why couldn't they be used sort of like as a blanket treatment for viruses? Yeah. So when I say that the treatment was discovered before the disease itself, it was a treatment for all sorts of viruses, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Um, and it, was, it wasn't It was until the 70s that we did more research and we said, huh, these seem like they might prevent viral infection, possibly. Maybe they have more broad ranging, you know, like with cancers, maybe they can suppress cancers. Like we learned a lot about interferon um, long before we knew about the virus that Interferon would be one of our first tools to treat. Huh. Um, and we also didn't learn about Hep C first, obviously, because then it would probably be Hep, hep A. A. <laughs> <laughs> As you may imagine, we found the other two, uh, we found two of the other hepatitis viruses before we found Hep C. Yeah, right. The woman hope. Uh, hep A and Hep B were discovered in the 60s and 70s. Um, and it was one of those things where we found a test for hep A, we found a test for hep B. We started finding people with like what we saw is like a transmissible liver disease, epidemic mm-hmm. liver disease. People were getting liver disease, and it wasn't from some other environmental cause because it was in such it was spreading. And so from like from the from an epidemiological standpoint, we could look and go, okay, all these people got this liver disease. Something is contagious here. So we test them for hep A, it's not that. We test them for hep B, it's not that. And then we go, there's something we don't know about yet. It's and a that new was, hep. That was the next journey that it took us a while to go on was we know there's a virus. We know it's probably like these other two, but we can't see it or grow it or find it.
0: Now, okay, is there a hep D?
1: Yeah.
0: Is there a hep E? Yes. Is there a hep F? No. Good. <laughs> That one I didn't like saying hepath, Heph if that sounded bad.
1: No. Uh so so we knew that. Hepatitis
0: there was... X is what I would like to have someday, but it seems like we're a long way away from that. It just seems like if I was gonna have a cool cyber disease, it would probably be hepatitis X.
1: Yeah. I mean that does and hep- maybe hepatitis X is when it starts <laughs> to work in our favor.
0: Oh, that's the good one. That's the good one. That's the one you want to have.
1: Uh, so anyway, we knew there was a cause of liver disease we were missing. It wasn't one of these two that we know about, but we didn't know what it was quite yet. Okay. And I'm going to tell you how we figured out what it was, but first we've got to go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate my for the mouth.
0: We have just started rehearsing
1: Trans representation in media is at an all-time high, with trans entertainers gracing the screens, large and small.
0: But trans voices, especially Black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new, limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist and better half of the Fun podcast, Fanta, Trayvall Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Char Sell. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and TV. And film. Now listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation. It's giving kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse, honey. Tune into We See Each Other, the podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get Slayworthy audio.
1: The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom,
0: Diablo 4, Final Fantasy 16, Street Fighter 6, Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield, Spider-Man 2, Master Detective Archives Rain Code for Nintendo Switch?
1: No? Is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge time for video games.
0: You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier.
1: I'm Maddie Myers.
0: And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click a video game podcast for anyone who likes games.
1: Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.
0: All right, Sydney, fill me in.
1: Okay. okay. So it's the mid-70s at this point. Uh, we know that there is something happened, especially like a lot of these cases, as you may imagine, were related to transfusion to the transfusion of blood products, mm-hmm. because this is before we had good screening for stuff. So you would get a blood transfusion, and then you get liver disease afterwards. Right. And so we started to screen, and we saw, oh, some of these cases we can pin on Hep B largely, uh, but there's something else here. Something there's different. something. There's something different.
0: It's a little bit off. It's a little different.
1: Um. So the chief of the infectious disease section at NIH uh, at the time, Dr. Alter. Uh, started, like, teasing this out and, like, basically pointed out that I have all these cases of transfusion-related liver disease, you know, I've linked them to that. I can't find another cause, and they definitely developed it afterwards, and they are negative for hep A or hep B, and basically, they said, okay, well, we'll call it non-A, non-B hepatitis.
0: Oh, that's, wait, non-A, okay, okay. Non A, non B
1: hepatitis is the best y'all could come up with. That's what it was, and then not even non A nor B hepatitis. It was it was not non A non B hepatitis is what it was called. So we know you have a hepatitis. It's not A or B. That's the best we got for you. Sorry, bad luck. So it took it was it would take a while. So this is the seventies. It wasn't till the late eighties that we made a lot of progress in that realm. Um, We knew it was there. That's so frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. We knew it was there. Um, but we just couldn't see it yet. Why
0: wouldn't they just call it hepatitis C?
1: I don't I, understand. Well, they just didn't. Know, well, they didn't. They didn't know enough about what it was yet to firmly place it in that position. Okay,
0: um, but they are agreeing that it's a hepatitis, so, <laughs> and it's not A or B. And then they're just sort of like extending their pinky up to their cheek, like I'll
1: never tell. <laughs> it's like it's hepatitis C, dude. Just do it. The same doctor would finally use uh, new technology, molecular cloning, in the in 1988 to prove an announce yes we have seen it it is there it is hepatitis c i, I know what happened. Um, i know what and happened by today's standards by the way what we now know is that probably of those original cases that he had set aside and said these are due to non-a non-b hepatitis somewhere from 90 to 95 percent of those were hep c i
0: fit i feel like i know what's gonna ha- i know what happened is that harvey alter was like maybe if it's weird enough that I won't even have to call it C, and I can call it Hepatitis Harvey.
1: Oh, there we go. He was
0: hoping that he could name it after himself, but he's like, ah, no, this is C. We all know it.
1: Who doesn't want a Hepatitis named after themselves? Hepatitis
0: Harvey is pretty good.
1: <laughs> so at the time, so we needed a good test for it. Just because we had found it doesn't mean we had a good test for it, right? Right. Like this has been an ongoing challenge throughout a lot of medicine. You can talk about this extensively with HIV, we knew there was something there. We understood a lot about it, but it took us a while to have a good test for it. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have a test for it, it becomes really difficult. Like to test for it. to Well, to know, to stop the spread mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. to protect so, people from it.
0: Sort of like, um, well, we saw that with COVID, right? Yes. Places stop tracking it. And then, and
1: then it just wrap. spreads. Yeah. 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 We've seen all this in real time with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um and it was the same thing with Hep C. Now, at the time, um, in, in Japan, the uh, Japanese health ministry was working on a hepatitis B vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, the emperor at the time, Hirohito, had developed cancer and was needing a lot of blood transfusions. So they're already sort of in this area of technology. Um, and basically the Japanese health ministry is like, we need to, let's work with uh, Chiron, the company Chiron, to develop a screening test for this new hepatitis because our emperor is needing blood transfusions and we don't want to accidentally give our emperor this non-A, non-B hepatitis, this huh. brand new thing. So we need to test for it. So that was a lot of the impetus. I mean, obviously there was a, it was bigger than this. But but it's an interesting anecdote about this big push that um, we need to get a test so that we can screen blood. And specifically, we've got somebody really important over here who we need to screen um, blood for. So
0: now we care. Now we care. Yeah. Now, we, now we're worried about it because yeah. the king.
1: And it also led to, C. like, briefly they called hepatitis C the emperor's new virus. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs>
0: All right. Almost makes up for hepatitis, uh, neither A nor B.
1: Yeah. Um, and they, and they, there was like a lot of the company that did it was kind of like exclusive and secretive about it, like selling it just to the Japanese health ministry at first and all this. And, um, and it's also not fair because it wasn't that the emperor had the new virus. It was that they They were testing the blood for the, um, anyway. (sighs) So we know about the virus. We can test for it. These are all big, um, Big steps forward, and by the 90s, we really understood interferons, and we had a variety of them that we were developing for different viruses and eventually for cancers and all Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So throughout the 90s, you see various treatment protocols being approved by the FDA for hepatitis C using different kinds of interferons. So they're based on things we already make in our own human bodies, and then they synthesize those, make them, and sell them for large amounts of money. Um, and th- so that was part of the problem with a lot of these early treatment protocols. They were extensive, long courses of injections of, of IV medications, um, like year-long, some of them, um, multiple treatments. They have lots of side effects. Under best-case scenario, like half were successful in the best cases, you know. So it wasn't—these were not going to be—it was very clear early on, like, this is probably not going to be the mainstay of treatment. Um and, and what was also interesting is that the companies who made these early medications, these interferons, actually, and this is such a double-edged sword, they actually did a lot of work to create public awareness about hep C, and I would say um, fear. They created patient advocacy groups.
0: For, for what?
1: To... Uh, put pressure on public officials to demand more more diagnosis and treatment of hep c this wasn't a grassroots effort from patients up this was large pharmaceutical companies creating
0: the hep, the hepatitis c panic,
1: panic among patient advocacy groups that weren't real they were all funded by pharmaceutical oh my gosh yeah it was and like it's so tough because like the reason they were doing that is because they had an incredibly expensive drug that could be very lucrative for them if only people knew it existed, and that also, <laughs> if they were scared enough to go get tested and find out they had Hep C and then seek the drug, so nefarious motivation. But like, we do want people to be aware and get tested, right? Not to be scared, but to be informed and make good decisions. Again, but like the the point was very much to like, okay, then they'll then we are driving consumers for our product. Ugh. Which, you know, is, it's
0: weird to see the pharmaceutical companies doing something bad. That's <laughs> so, so
1: well, and it, I mean, let's just like, again, and I, I know I could say this, I'm blue in the face. When you have a for-profit healthcare system, the motivations of these companies are always going to be for profit. profit. Um so the, we finally were able to, you know, it's interesting. We had still not grown, so to speak, the virus. Mm-hmm. If you can grow a virus, propagate a virus, whatever word you want to use, because not, is it living? Is it dead? It's, it's, a, it's a zombie. It's somewhere uh. in between. Um, we didn't do that until 2005 when we were actually able to culture it in cells. Um, and being able to do that, like have like grow as much of the virus as you want more or less is really important if you're going to develop better drugs you gotta,
0: you gotta have the target dummies to, yeah to beat up on you
1: can exactly right. you need the dummies and you also can like i don't want to i mean i'm not literally take it apart and and look at it but like sort of on a molecular level you're you're getting to look at all the pieces of it to see all of the places you could stop it all of its weak points you know butthole
0: classic one eyeballs
1: viruses are not like the death star there's usually more than one one place
0: can you make it about sports (laughs) a sports one would be easier for me to sort of wrap my head around
1: so uh they they started after that you started to see brand new antiviral drugs being marketed again still like they were called cures but we weren't quite it would take us a while um, before we got to the point where we have what we can confidently say are cures for this infection now, um, it is interesting that there are some areas where hepatitis C was particularly prevalent, specifically in Egypt. They had had this big campaign to uh, eliminate another illness, schistosomiasis. And in um, trying to treat everybody for this, they used needles that had not been properly sterilized oh, and actually gosh. led to a very large hepatitis C outbreak. Again, before we knew it was Hep C, we we it was we were still calling it non A non B hepatitis, and before we could find it and all that kind of stuff, um, the people who was eventually it typical
0: to reuse needles back then, or was it just because it was a resource limited situation?
1: Um, so probably at this point we're saying it was not typical, but yeah, limited resource situations, and then also like sterilization prop. You can have the best of intentions, and your sterilization procedures fail. So like. There's a time period where we didn't know it was a problem. Then there's a time period where we knew it was a problem, but in resource-limited settings, stuff that shouldn't have happened, happened. And then there's a time period where maybe we're even trying in all settings to do it right, but if your sterilization procedures aren't perfect, mm-hmm. you can. then that's even worse if you think you're sterilizing things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you're not. And then eventually we get to a point where, like, we should never be sterilizing needles because we shouldn't use them more than once in a perfect world, right? Right. So in 2020, by the way, there was a uh, a Nobel Prize awarded to Alter and then who partnered with another Dr. Houghton and Rice uh, for um, their work in hepatitis because it was was such a huge discovery and understanding it has such a huge impact on the world today because um, it's important to know. So worldwide, there are 58 million people living with hepatitis C virus. Wow. A lot of people, right? That's as of 2019 numbers. Um, And – an estimated 21% of those knew about it.
0: Hmm. Wow. That is sobering.
1: Yes. Um, this is why, this is why it's really important. And then even of those, uh, around 62% had been treated by huxi, the end of 2019. Huxi. So we have huge we we really need to amp up efforts to get people diagnosed and then connect them with treatment after they get that diagnosis. I think part of what we're up against is there has been this sort of um, nihilism around hepatitis C, that it's hopeless. And if you get diagnosed, there's nothing we can do anyway. And that's not true anymore. There's there's a very effective, well-tolerated, safe, good side effect profile cures available. Um, it depends on your genotype and the subtype, and so all that can be figured out once you go see a healthcare professional. Um, but now we have a pill. There's a, a chance, broadly speaking. There's yeah, help. we have pills that you can take, so not even injections anymore. And the price tag has lowered dramatically, so they're covered a lot more easily. And... We don't have the—we used to have a barrier that we would put on patients that if you were still using injection drugs, we would not treat you for your hepatitis C until first it was six months, then it was three months that you had been in recovery. That barrier is gone. Mm. It doesn't matter if you're still using injection drugs. You can access treatment and cure for your hepatitis C. All of this information still needs to get out to the public. There is a big World Health Organization campaign that they started prior to the pandemic— which I imagine has. Then it's has, like who has the time. But there's a goal of eliminating it by 2030 because this is possible. This would be possible, but before we get there, we need people Sorry. to get tested. Yeah, and we need people to not fear that if it's positive that there's nothing they can do because we need them to have the information that if it is positive, there's treatment, there's a cure, they can go access that, and so it's it- affordable. In some parts of the world, all of this is with the caveat that I am talking from the perspective of an American physician who knows that my patients, if I can get them tested, I can get them access to t- affordable treatment. In many parts of the world, diagnosis, treatment, these are gigantic hurdles um, that they they have yet to overcome.
0: At the risk of putting you on the spot, uh, are there guidelines for who should and shouldn't run out and get tested for hepatitis C?
1: Um, definitely if you have uh, any sorts of high-risk um, behaviors. So sure. injection drug use, you need to be tested for hep C. If you uh, have high-risk sexual behaviors, so multiple partners, unprotected sex, those are good reasons to get tested for hepatitis C. Well if it's just hand stuff? <laughs> just some. If you've had blood transfusions, especially prior to I believe the year 1992 is what mm-hmm. the blood banks will tell you, um, that is prior to us having good screening protocols. Okay. And those are people who should get tested um, so I, you know, there are a lot of people, uh, there, for a while there, there was a whole push to get baby boomers tested because a lot of them may have been exposed to the virus back in the, uh, seventies prior to us really understanding or sh- testing for or screening for, um, these medications. So, and there's still, uh, as of yet, is no vaccine available. So we can't so, prevent
0: it, but we are trying to cure it.
1: Yes. Wouldn't that go a long way towards getting rid of it? If we could get that vaccine,
0: we get yeah, vaccine going.
1: Yeah. That's a whole other convert. It's a very difficult virus to um, vaccinate yourself against, or to create a vaccine for, I should say. Um, but there are vaccines for Hep A and Hep B, and okay. whether you have Hep C or whatever, it's important to get your Hep A and Hep B vaccines because then, if you even if you do contract Hep C, your risk is much lower of developing those severe complications if you don't have the other hepatitis viruses. You can't so- drive the
0: uh, drive through here in Huntington without a a, a, a staunch assertion that everyone on staff has been vaccinated for HEPA. Absolutely. That, that was a big yeah. thing for, for a bit here.
1: So, if you, if you are concerned, if you've had any of those sorts of occurrences, it's a blood test. It's an antibody. It's a pretty quick, easy test to do. And do not fear it because there are treatments, there are cures available. But knowledge is power.
0: And Hepatitis X is power. Pure, <laughs> unbridled power coursing through your veins. That's why I'm offering it for 500 creds per hit this is a, a scene from my future uh-huh. dystopian novel Hepex. um thank you man i i actually need to take the time to write that hey everybody thanks for listening to our podcast please don't steal my Hepex idea uh we hope you've enjoyed yourself we hope you learned a little something go get tested if you're in that that uh that that demographic if you, for lack of a better term than he was was describing. It's better to know, I think. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song, Medicines, as the intro and outro of our program. And, uh, oh, hey, do you want to come see us perform? Um, because you can if you go to bit.ly forward slash uh, McElroy Tours, and then you come see us in Columbus, the My Brother, My Brother Me show, May 19th. I uh, know, that's this Friday. Right. Yeah. May 19th. This Friday, you can come uh, see us perform and you'll have a good time. And then you can watch my brother, my brother, me after if you want, if you want to just only
1: bail. If you want to just
0: only if you want to. I think Schmanners might be doing it, too. But don't quote me on that. I know we'll be there, assuming Sydney can avoid the traffic after her uh, her uh, uh, lecture that she's giving. And uh, it's gonna be a fun show. Bit.ly forward slash. Sorry, go ahead. I'm You're... not
1: giving a lecture. I'm just attending a conference.
0: CME. We're talking.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: sorry, Riley just walked the room. and scared, scared the crap out of me. No, it's okay, I t- Riley. i told Riley to
1: come on down. You Can didn't we...
0: tell her to just barge in. And scare the I crap did. out Why of me. Why do we have to
1: record? Still buffering. I didn't know you were gonna. I didn't know you were gonna talk so long. That's gonna do it for us. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Just
0: Macroy. I'm Sydney McEroy. <laughs> What do I say? Don't drill a hole in your head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah. MaximumFun.org.
0: Comedy and culture.
1: Artist owned.
0: Audience supported.